you have your Bibles handy, I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter. <clears throat> We've been working through 2 Peter on Sundays, but uh, this little section comes out of 1 Peter. And I'm really going to start at verse 13 and go to 21, just because it gives us just a little bit more uh, reference. I'm going to focus mostly on those three verses there, four verses in 17 to 21. But I want you to read with me if you can, or follow along if you can. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you, are, since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ the Lamb, without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and your hope are in God. <clears throat> I was thinking, uh, trying to uh, establish a little bit of an idea, I'm thinking that song, if you ever remember Miriam's song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider hath thrown into the sea. We'll sing it later, maybe, if I remember. But uh, the thing that strikes me about that moment is, uh, you know, you've got that, that your face and your back is, in a sense, against the water on one side, right? You have no hope. Their, their army is bearing down on you, death staring you in the face. Uh, this Moses character, you know, don't very little about him, is leading you, and you have uh, seemingly walked down into a trap. If you've ever seen the uh, satellite pictures they have now available, of where they think they crossed the Red Sea, uh, it, it kind of comes down in this, there's huge hills on either side, and there's these little kind of narrow valleys that open up onto a huge beach. Uh, nice beach if you get to go there nowadays, but uh, with an army bearing down from behind you, and the sea in front of you, and these huge mountains on either side, there is not much hope for the, the people of Israel. And it's at that point that you know, God steps in, and we understand the purity of the gospel, which is in this condition, when you have your back against the wall and you're staring across an impossible sea to cross, and you've got everything that you own, every part of your family with you, and there is absolutely no hope, God comes in and rescues. That's that sense of, of what I want you to at least try and understand, because it's at that point you begin to understand the power and the rescue of God is not limited by anything in front of you or behind you or on either side of you. So no matter what's in front of you, no matter what's on either side of you, and what's bearing down on you from behind, the rescue is in the Lord. And the power then comes as you begin to trust not in yourself, but you begin to surrender and trust in the Lord who has brought you to this point and will carry you as he sees uh, fit into the next level and however he chooses to win the victory. And so as you look down at this, uh, and you focus a little bit here, it says this part here where it starts in 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers, here in reverent fear. Now, I, I thought impartially, you, you kind of get what that means. I think it means that 
He doesn't play any favorites. You're not going to win more brownie points with him uh, because you're taller, shorter, fatter, thicker, thicker, black, white, red, or yellow. You, there's no way that you are going to gain something on somebody else. Now, that's one way of understanding it. The other way of understanding it is to understand that his grace is unfettered. There is no limitation to it. It's not hindered by any indication of what you've done right or wrong. You understand? The grace of God is able to work no matter what race you are, no matter what your background, no matter what you bring to the table. The grace of God remains unfettered. It can't be hindered. There is no favoritism. God is releasing His grace, His mercy, and His love unconditionally in every condition around you, every circumstance around you. And so at this point, you begin to understand, if you see what Peter's trying to get at, it's recognizing and realizing that the grace of God is going to move, it is going to accomplish His purposes, it's going to be extended in directions you can't possibly comprehend. And so no matter what the situation is that you find yourself in, no matter how difficult you believe the circumstances are, God is able to open up the sea in front of you. God will do that not just for you because you're his Israel, but he'll do it for this person and this person and this one. And you begin to understand what God is trying to pour into you is that sense of reverence and fear that comes from recognizing who he really is, what he's really capable of. And that's always the challenge he's bringing us to where you go, can you step into somebody else's life and say, you don't understand who God is. God is more than able to open up the Red Sea for the children of Israel, but he is not playing favorites. They're not more special to him than you are. What he did for them, he can do for you. And maybe you can add your own testimony to that. When you've got yourself or in a situation where your back's to the wall and circumstances seem absolutely hopeless and God opens up a door, opens up this opportunity in front of you and he says to you, unconditionally, no strings attached, unfettered, I will move in the lives of people around the world and everywhere I go. And so you understand that you have to become, your, your fear and your reverence is in the awesomeness of God's willingness to work in all men. There is no favorites. You can't say, but I'm from Israel, but I've been saved so many more years, but I've done this and this and this. God looks at you and says, who are you? as though somehow you got something to drag up in front of him. And instead, he releases instead over you this sense of, I will bless you, and I will bless them, and them, and them, because that's who I am. That's what he's trying to communicate. So you look down, he goes, Who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Uh, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Uh, a reference, obviously, to the very simple message of the gospel, that purchasing, again, the gospel, the mercy of being purchased, not by something you've done, okay, but by the work of God in Christ, you have been purchased. Now, try to keep in mind, I mean, obviously, there's that sense, I mean, there's obviously that sense of judgment, you can pick that up, where God's going to judge according to work and all this kinds of stuff. And I go, so how are your works doing? You want to measure them up and see if you make it? Dear God, I want you to judge me according to the way I lived with everybody in my life today. I want you to send me to heaven or hell based on the attitudes that I demonstrated to people in my life today. 
You want to be judged? You want that criteria? You understand? You go, oh, no, 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 right? So you got to understand, this is not just simply, oh, you get scared and say, I better make sure my works are good enough so that I... No, that carries you always down that wrong path, all right? And so he goes, do you understand what has purchased you? Do you understand how you've been redeemed? Do you understand how you've been rescued, okay? And what work is he going to judge that's going to rescue you? What work is he going to look at impartially that's going to save you? You have anything you want to haul up and stick in front of God and say, I'm good enough now because I have done this work? You know, the only work you have is this one. I have nothing except I need you, Jesus, please help. That's your work. It is the work of repentance, right? It is the work of sincerity and repentance and the cry of reality that apart from you I can't do anything. That's the work that he's talking about. Not, you know, have you done enough? Have you witnessed enough? Have you given enough money? Or any of the other stuff. Because he takes you right back to the purity of the gospel. Watch what he does with it. All right? Uh, living here in reverent fear, for you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ the Lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times, again, for your sake. You understand what Peter's doing with them. Through him you believe in God, you ra- who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. The fear and the reverence you would have to generate comes in an awareness that my hope is in God. My hope and confidence is in God. That's why when you see Miriam on the other side of the sea singing this song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed. Gloriously, the horse and rider are thrown into the sea. That sense is now she understands this. Now Miriam is celebrating. She stands in awe of what God has just done for her. She stands in reverent fear. I used to live in the mindset, what's the old mindset? I have to get good enough for Jesus. I have to do another sacrifice. I have to do another good deed. He says, I redeemed you from all of that. Uh, You don't go back to that kind of living any longer. You stand on the seashore watching and looking back at the mercy of God poured into your life and you shout, I'm going to sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed. Gloriously, the horse and rider are thrown into the sea. The image, of course, is that the victory I have is in God. The victory is in Christ. I stand in awe because the God who just split the sea and destroyed one of the strongest armies at that time just claimed me as his own. I stand in reverent awe. I cannot return to trying to live good enough to earn my righteousness, to trying to live good enough to earn God's mercy and grace. Instead, I now see it like I've never seen it before. I will celebrate who my God is and what he is willing to do in my life. And what it does is it breaks off all, you know, the forefather stuff. What have you been whispered to by your forefathers? Now, obviously, he's referring to the forefathers before, uh, you know, back you going back to Moses and others like that, and even back to uh, different places. He says the forefathers kept saying you had to do this right, that right, and that. And it goes, stop that. Just let that all rest for a moment. The work that you bring to the Lord is the work of repentance. 
the work of sincerity, the work of emptying out. Lord, I'm standing with my face, face in the ocean, the enemy at the back, and impossible cliff walls on either side. And you know what? My hope is in you. There it is. My hope is in you. He goes, live like that in reverent fear. Got it. My hope is in you. Because the moment you think you can step across and you've got it figured out, you've you got to understand the world either takes it from you or it collapses underneath you. It doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. And so instead, what Peter is trying to get the people here to do and to understand is not to live any way they want, not to live just wantonly or ignorantly. It just simply means if your eyes are on God and your hope is in Christ and your confidence is in Him, then like Miriam, you're going to be dancing on the other side of the sea, celebrating the power and the mercy of God. You're not going to worry about anything else because if God has brought you this far, He can carry you the next step. And the fearful reverence that you live in is in the awesome power of God to bring life and death, and still He comes into your world and He speaks the truth to you, you are my child. And so you put that beginning, or you put that all together, and He says, I want to rescue you from any thought or any reason or any logic that takes you back to trying to be good enough or righteous enough or deserving enough. Israel was not good or righteous or deserving. God specifically says, I chose you not because you were different or better than any other nation in the world. I chose you because of my grace. Look at it for a moment as though you're Israel. He says, there's nothing special in you that makes you better, impartial, better than anybody else in the world. But I want you. And he speaks that right to your heart. And he says, I want you in my kingdom. I want to give you gifts. And you go, why would you want to do that? And God whispers, he says, that's who I am. That's the way I want to be. I was using an analogy. I got to talk for, uh, there she is. No, where's Lauren go? She went, oh, there she is, back there. I got to talk with, uh, for, uh, with Lauren and for a group over at uh, a Campus Crusade. And the Lord was you know, kind of giving me ideas. And, and I said, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Every one of you has the entire power of God and the Holy Spirit in your life. And uh, sometimes kids go, uh-huh. So do big people, right? I mean, so, so God goes, that's not working. And, uh, uh, you know, these guys are all pretty sharp, and they're brilliant. They're all college age. And there were like three or four kids kind of geeking around with the computers and the overhead projectors and all the stuff they had going. And that Lord just quickened this thought. He said, try to imagine that you've been given this fantastic computer Okay, and it's programmed with 150 of the best programs that you can possibly get. And someone walks up with this $15,000 package, gives it to you and says, this is for you. And you go home and you somehow manage to get it turned on, figure out how to get to the internet and do your emails, and maybe download your music, and maybe download a picture or two, and you're so proud of yourself. All right? And, uh, and so you got to understand, that's what it's like with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given you and is in you, and he's got all of this stuff just waiting. But you don't know how to open it up. You don't know how to touch the next program. I used the example with kids today in class, and I said, try to imagine that you're writing one of my papers, you know, so they make faces at me, and I'm, what are you doing? So I come to your house, and I say, what are you doing? He said, well, we're writing your dumb paper. I said, how's it going? Well, it's... I said, why are you writing it? 
They look at me weird and they say, because it's due tomorrow. And I said, yes, I know it's due tomorrow, but why are you writing it? And they say, well, what do you mean? And I just go over here and I click on a single icon and up comes this little face and it says, go ahead, dictate, I'll write everything you tell me down. And I have a program of voice recognition on that and all they have to do is talk and the computer will record their entire paper. And they look at me and go, is that what it's really like? I go, yes. The things of the Spirit that God has for you are greater than you can possibly comprehend. The difficulty is, if you get comfortable with what is, you cease experiencing what can be. If you become lethargic and say, I am content with where I'm at, you miss out where you can be. And you end up spending your time punching letters in, taking forever to answer your emails, and all you had to do is open a new program, put in something else, and you could have tripled your work, quadrupled the effect and impact you had on people's lives, and totally changed the direction of your life. But because you didn't open it, the Spirit of God was never tapped, and that sat there waiting for you to finally figure out that this is what God was trying to figure out a way to pour into you. And that's the dilemma God has in dealing with us. You understand? Impartially. Here it comes. God has given all his people the Holy Spirit. Well, how much of it? All of it. All the fruits of the Spirit are present in your life. All that God wants you to possess is present in your life. And if you're content with your condition and the state you're at, does God love you? Yes. You can be content with figuring out how to do your email. It works perfectly well. The computer will work just like it's supposed to. But you will miss out on everything else that thing was designed to do for you and changing your life, in ministering to your life, and everything else. And so here's God going, I have given to you all the things I gave to Peter. Do you understand how impartiality works? He looks at you and says, did you ever think that the apostles got something you couldn't have? Oh, yeah, all the time. Did you think you couldn't become the next Paul? Is that what you really believe? Well, yeah. No, you don't understand impartialness. I have shown no impartiality. Paul was not more deserving and you less deserving. I have what I gave to Paul, I give to you. What did he say to his disciples? Everything you see me do, you can do. But you're going to have to learn how to tap into the computer or tap into the program or tap into the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Every once in a while you taste it, right? You hit a crisis and you don't know which end is up. And suddenly the, the Spirit just begins to work in your life in ways that you, and you, you feel yourself changing. You feel hope and hopelessness. You feel joy in the middle of misery. And you feel confidence that you wouldn't normally feel. And you taste a moment of the Spirit, but it's almost like I hit some button and I, and I don't know why it's working, but something's working. And then when you need it, you don't know how to hit the same button again. It's like you accidentally stepped into the power of the Spirit and then you shut it back down. And I go, that's the dilemma that God has in dealing with you and I. His desire is to pour into us more than we can possibly even ask or imagine. Impartially. Everything you saw the apostles do. Impartially. I can do in and with and through you. If you don't catch the vision of getting beyond the email, the the hunt and peck method that we have in living our Christian life, We never, as a congregation or as an individual, as a man, woman, family member, whatever it is, we never get beyond that point. And it isn't that, you know, like I said, it isn't that God is angry in the sense of I'm trying to hurt you. It's kind of like, that's nice. That's the way a lot of kids look at me when they look at what I can do on a computer. That's really nice, Pastor Herman. 
would you like to learn something new? Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, show me. And I go, that's the point. You understand? The Holy Spirit wants to open up to your eyes so that you can begin to understand this process. You've got to understand, you've been purchased, you've been chosen, and all of these things are God is working for your life. And then finally, you go back right where the last point of this is in 21. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are resting in God. Now go back to the first three verses with me, and hopefully they'll start to make sense. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Because all of the things I've told you about this uncontrolled, unlimited grace of God is about, it was explained at the end there. Think of it now. Prepare your mind for action. For, all right, be self-controlled. If you keep this in balance, you understand. Wall on that side, wall on this side, ocean in front of me, uh, army behind me, be self-controlled. <laughs> God is good all the time. Even with my back and front and sides hemmed in. Uh, what you smiling for? Because I am confident in who my God is. God is more than able. Because he will show no impartiality. What he has done for others, he can do for me. That's the process, right? What he's done for others, he'll do. All right, you're getting the hang of this. Okay, look at the next one. Set your hope fully on the grace. Right? Set your hope fully, not on your strength, not on your confidence. Set it fully on the grace of God that's been given to you. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You aren't caught in that anymore. You don't have to go back into that kind of lifestyle you learn from your forefathers. Don't go back and wonder if you're good enough. Don't leave tonight and say, I'm not good enough. Don't leave tonight and say, I'm not the Apostle Paul. Don't leave tonight and say, I could never do what Peter did. Don't leave tonight and say, I couldn't possibly be the next Martin Luther. Leave tonight and say, everything that you have done and any other man, woman, or child across the face of this earth, you will show no impartiality to. I can in you become and be this person. And so I lift up my eyes I ask for that refreshing spirit to be poured into me so that I don't go back to that which is foolish and shallow and, and wasted, all right? But just as he has called you who is, just as he has called you, excuse me, just as he who called you is holy, be holy at all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The reference as that, that idea of being set apart, resting on the grace of God, resting holy there. My holiness, right? You can't say, I'm going to be holy because I'm a holy man. That's the wrong thing. I am holy because the blood of Christ has cleansed me from all of my sin. My confidence is in the grace of God. In the circumstance I have to walk in, I now walk confidently as I rest on His grace. And then all of that starts to come together and you begin to realize why God is calling us to live in that kind of hope. And so what's the repentance of? Lord, I don't want to go back to trying to win my salvation. I don't want to go back and give Satan any inch of my life where he brings up some of the rotten stuff, right? He hurls that rotten stuff up in your face and he says, you aren't good enough. That's why you've got this ache and pain. That's why you've got a headache. That's why you know, you're being punished. And I whisper at you and I say, don't let Satan do that to you. That's where the victory starts to make sense and you begin to understand what God is trying to communicate to you. God has this desire to pour a spirit of ever-refreshing power into your life. And he wants to give you what he has given to you by grace through that Holy Spirit, 
open up the programs, begin to discover what He can do in your life, and begin to understand as you set your eyes upon Him, your life changes. What was Miriam on one side of the Red Sea? Oh, right? She had to be just like everybody else. What are we going to do, Moses? What are we going to do? What's she like on the other side of the Red Sea? Let's dance. Let's give God the glory. She stepped into that role of prophetess at that point, and she's proclaiming the victory that is in God over all of Israel, and the people join in Miriam's song. And that's the nature of what you have to enter into. So you repent of seeing the walls and the sea and the enemy, and you instead live in the power of the other side, even when you're standing on this side. I know God is more than able to rescue us from this fire, right? Three men in the fiery furnace, right? You can throw us in. You do whatever you got to do. We know that our God is more than able to rescue us. You see, if you understand faith in each one of its steps, it's that confidence in who God is, what he did for them, he can do for you. That's the fragrance of this whole process and this whole page. So as we look at it, let's uh, just bow our heads a moment. Lord, as we uh, walk into the, this, uh, this opportunity you set in front of us, we're praying for that attitude. I pray for a fresh wind to blow across us as a congregation, as individuals. I pray, Lord, for release from some of those feelings and judgments that we hold out over ourselves that I can never overcome this. This is the way I've always been. It will never change. I pray against those forces, either in my own rotten flesh or in the forces around me of people and circumstance, those forces around me sometimes stirred by Satan himself, those forces around me, Lord, that hold me down and limit me and believe that you could not possibly love me or work in me or find a purpose for me as you did for Peter, James, John, and others, Lord, who loved you and followed you with their whole heart. I pray that you would raise up Moses. I pray that you would raise up Gideons. I pray, Lord, that you'd raise up Samsons. I pray, Lord, that you'd bring about Davids. I pray, Lord, that you would set this congregation free and raise up Miriams and Marys. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bring all the power of God that you want to bear into this place, that we would be your people here in this time. We ask, Lord, that we would not live under the oppression or the lies of Satan or the world, but instead we would be set free by the truth that you show no impartiality, that you will work in the middle of all of our lives, that you will minister to us in ways that we can't comprehend, that we have been fully redeemed, not by our works of righteousness, but by your holy precious blood. And so we pray, Lord, trusting not in ourselves, but in the power of your redemptive blood, trusting not in ourselves, but in your grace that is never-ending, we ask, though, that you'd help us to step out of this place in great confidence. Take on our jobs, take on our movements, our careers, our decision-making, and help us to live in the power that is ours in you, Lord. And we pray this all in your name. Join me if you would. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rod thrown into the sea. Repeat it. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, Horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. The Lord my God, my strength, my song, has now become my victory. The Lord my God, my strength, my song, has now become my victory. The Lord is God and I will praise Him, my Father's God and 
I will exalt him, the Lord is God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The power of repentance and the message of this land is to live dancing out of here. Because God who has begun the good work will bring it to completion. Now, if you have any other word of prayer that we've missed, just kind of uh, got a bar and we're just going to have a time of prayer. If there's something else you want to add, just proclaim the victory over people. Start speaking the truth. Rebuke the darkness that holds your children down. Rebuke the darkness that keeps your parents or loved ones from seeing the Lord. Rebuke the darkness that blinds them. And instead, proclaim the victory of what God is more than able to do. And just surrender the outcome into His hands and stand on the seashore and uh, just ignore in one sense what is in front and on either side and behind and rest your eyes fully on the power of God and what He's going to do in your life. Father, I just pray that over each of the people here in this fellowship. I pray victory for us and confidence for us. I pray the dancing heart of Miriam into our lives. I pray the prophetic word of Miriam into our mouths. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to see what we've never seen before, taste what we've never tasted before, and understand what we've never even begun to grasp. Pour that into our lives in every way, Jesus. Hear the prayers of your people as they bring them before you, Lord. healing to his body as he's recovering from surgery right now. Pray for the guidance and direction for the doctor that we need for him. Lord, also lift up my family as we travel this weekend and um, this next week, Lord, we just pray for your protection and your guidance and your direction. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just want to give you praise and glory for I pray a fresh spirit over you. I pray healing for your hearts and your bodies. I pray the strength of God and the truth that comes from His Word, that flows from His heart, that you have been set free. I pray clarity of thinking into your minds and into your hearts. I pray joy that flows from the love of God into your life and confidence not in yourself, but in God's ability to work in any place you've been and any place you're going. I pray healing for those who are dealing with that kind of struggle right now. And I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would just rest upon you, that there would be a healing spirit watching over you and ministering to you in every way. 
I pray that he would minister to your heart. I pray that he would fill you with hope. We pray uh, over this situation with uh, an individual going through that tough divorce, Lord, and I pray a grace for him. I ask that you would be with him and that you turn his heart away from the pain and the difficulty and the sadness that he's being grieved by as he goes through that. And I pray that you would give him eyes that are focused wholly on you. And I ask, Lord, that you would watch over the needs that he feels every day. I pray, Lord, for healing for families. I pray, Lord, for rescue for our youth. I pray, Lord, for any of those who are uh, not being the people we need to be, that we would rest confidently, that as you brought Paul out of the circumstances of persecution and wickedness, you can bring us into righteousness and truth. As you brought others, Lord, from deceptiveness and denial and everything else, you rescued them and made them people to serve you and honor you, whose names have become well-known as people of faith. As you've taken the smallest of the family in little David and made him the victor over the giant uh, Goliath, we pray that you would bring up and raise up our children, that they would be more than victors in the situations and the Goliaths of life that they face. We pray, Lord, that you would move on us with a new understanding and a new vision and a new call and a new spirit that would just be poured out over us in every way. Lord, bring healing to those that are sick, mercy that know, for those that need that, and just grace. Give us an ability, Lord, to live in the power that is in you and through you and with you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. God's people said, Amen. And I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I pray the grace and the joy that is yours in Christ to rest on you. And may you dance in Miriam's victory song as you understand that God is more than able, whichever side of the sea you're standing on, He is more than able to bring victory into your circumstance. Let go and surrender your heart and your life. Lift up your hands, hold them out, and let God perform and do in front of you and through you and with you all that he needs to do. So I pray that into your life as I bless you in his name. Amen. We rise and we close with the last.